Hey folks, this is Anatoly and you're listening to the Solana Podcast. And today I have with me Daffy Diriraj, who is the co-founder of Mango Markets. So awesome to have you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great to be here. So, you know, origin story, how'd you get into crypto? <laughs> what, what, made you, what made you build Mango Markets? How did I get into crypto? Um, so I started off really not wanting to get into crypto. I, I was um, really interested in algorithmic trading. You know, did that in college and wanted to, you know, did some competitions that I did well in. And I wanted to trade equities, but it turns out if you have not enough money, if you have like a few thousand dollars, it's just not, it's like not allowed. You're not allowed to algorithmically trade. There's a pattern day trader rule. And I was just, you know, I was infuriated and I was looking around and I found Poloniex where you can do anything you want. Um, the thing that actually hooked me first to Poloniex was the lending market. Because I, I immediately, as soon as I saw like an open lending market, I was like, oh, wow, I have to buy some Bitcoin. And I have to lend it out. Um, and Poloniex was all Bitcoin. So, you know, and then I gradually got into just the meat of it, which was algorithmic trading. And everything about crypto seemed exciting, but I actually didn't want to hold Bitcoin. Poloniex was all Bitcoin. But again, I think the government sort of pushed me in the right direction. I was like, okay, I don't want to hold Bitcoin. Um, I'll uh, hedge off my risk on BitMEX. Um, but again, not open to US persons. And so I was kind of reluctantly holding Bitcoin and thinking, all right, I have a few thousand dollars. If things go bad in this whole Bitcoin thing, I'll, I'll like, I'll come out okay. I'll get a job or whatever. But yeah, I just never got a job. You know, I just kept holding Bitcoin and that's, and, and continuing to trade crypto. And I did that for about five years. Then I, well, I wanted to actually start trading on chain because I, I thought this was probably for a lot of the reasons that you built Solana, um, you know, like the censorship resistance and like the global liquidity of it and like the openness of it, the, the fact that, you know, you're not excluding people that have like a few thousand dollars. I wanted to build on chain and I was just not very bullish on a lot of things. So I kept going back to trading and then I saw Serum Dex and I was just hooked. Like I was just, you know, I placed a trade and it felt totally natural and normal. It wasn't like, <laughs> you know, like $40 and takes... 20 seconds and you don't know if it, and then the MetaMask is jammed. You're like, oh, but how do I cancel this? So yeah, long, that was a, that was long winded way of saying was a trader. And then I started, and then I saw Serum Dex and then I had to start building the tools that would make Serum Dex even more fun. That's awesome. Yeah. kind of, I got into it by trading. Basically I set up like a interactive brokers IRA account and that let me mm. kind of like bypass the rules. <laughs> Really? <laughs> With like very small amount of money. I think they probably closed these loopholes already. I like wrote a bunch of stuff on top of their Java SDK and started trading there. But yeah, I remember I actually got started that way too. I, I like did a bunch of stuff with their Java SDK. So we can tell you we're both programmers. Like yeah. we wanted to we wanted to build like this money machine, right? Like the, the like it's yeah. so it's so fascinating. Um and oh it's a machine that it does money. things and it prints money. <laughs> how, <laughs> how much more? Uh, what more could you want? So yeah, I got started with interactive brokers, but I guess like the the whole IRA thing because um, I was I was like a college student, um, and so I don't know. Even even talking to an accountant would like take a huge dent out of my net worth. Totally, like it's all really not designed for the whole financial system in the in trading in the U.S. is designed to 
funnel retail towards an app like E-Trade or Robinhood, which takes a cut and then sells that trade to somebody else who take a cut and then 10 other people until it gets to an exchange. And that's how like everybody's protecting their neck, right? Yeah. (laughs) They're like all, all taking a little slice. And I think what's cool about crypto is that even centralized exchange like FTX is a thousand times better and less extractive of the users than um, anything in traditional finance, simply because they can guarantee settlement. Such a very simple thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you feel it right from the beginning. Um, you, you, go, you go to Poloniex in 2016. It's like, oh, here you have an email, you've deposited Bitcoin, and now you're just lending to people. So just like talk about not being extractive. To, to see the order book through interactive brokers or Ameritrade or, or whatever costs you a lot of money. And, and it yeah. costs them a lot of money to provide it. Yep. And I actually, I don't think I'd ever seen an order book. This was yeah. like my passion. <laughs> this is what I love to do. And I never actually seen it. You know, the, there's that story of um, the blind men who are touching this elephant. And, and so I kind of figured out kind of maybe what the order book looks like and <laughs> but then on Poloniex, you know you go there and and you just see the order book and you see all the lights flashing and and you're like oh this is it this is this is where the trades are happening and that's free um and you can and of course a big part of mango markets as well is like you can see the order book that's that's it that is it there's no nothing more yeah and it's all on chain and, and all the stuff so yeah in terms of not being extractive It's a really big piece of what motivates people to come in. I don't know if you ever tried to get data, like real data. Like I wanted wanted like timing information when a bid comes in or when an ask comes in versus when it's filled. How do I get access to it? Because when you get data from like any of these places, you basically, it's like a little better than Yahoo Finance, which is like every five minutes to give you a low and a high. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Did did you ever succeed at at doing that in interactive brokers? Or? No, like a, I recorded some of it, but it wasn't like it just never was, had that fidelity. And I always felt that, like, okay, I'll build some models, and sometimes stuff would work locally against my simulations. But then whenever I would actually try to run it, I'd see that like fills take a little longer than they should, right? And like all this stuff just like really feels like they're, you're not interacting directly with the trading system. That yeah. somebody, like when they see your order, they're like, well, maybe I'll get, put my order ahead of yours. Yeah. <laughs> or do whatever, right? Or slow, or slow you down a bit. And it just, yeah, just sucks. Yeah, it, it feels it, it feels very opaque. It, it's like a black box. And of course, this is all for people like me who are kind of looking from the outside looking in. So if I had gotten a job at Citadel or somewhere, I, I, then I could probably see what's actually happening. Um, but the fact that the vast majority of people are going to look at it and not really know what's actually happening. Not everyone wants to see an order book. That That's like an important fact. But there are a large number of people who need it to be a little bit transparent to like be involved. What I hate about it is that there's a lot of people that make a lot of money from you not seeing it. That they're yeah. like in the business of information asymmetry and fuck them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, so it's not a family-friendly podcast, so it's good. I was going to ask that, but... Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> so there's a funny story, like, um, you know, uh, on RuneScape. I don't know if you've ever played uh, RuneScape. Um, I, I played Ultima Online, which is like, I think, similar vibes in the early days. Yeah. So on RuneScape, just like on, on the point of like no one being able to see anything, on RuneScape, they, they also they had an order book because that's the most natural thing to do. And I actually had to figure it out like from first principles, like, you know, I would place a trade and and I would see that sometimes it would get executed and sometimes it would not get executed. Then I realized, okay, if I place a trade for these water runes or something or like oak logs or something and I put the price really high, it gets executed at some price that's not the price that I set. And so, okay. And, and then I was able to like form this concept of, okay, that's the asking price. Um, I like didn't even have a terminology for this, you know, <laughs> and then, and I did the same for set the price to zero and put a trade. And now I've found the bid and now I can make a lot of money actually underbidding the best asker and overbidding the best bid. So you're market making. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was, <laughs> it, it's funny. I mean, um, I, re, I was reminded because you said like, there's a lot of people who make a lot of money in you not knowing. And I've, I just, I was just minting money. You know, it, it took me years to accumulate like, like a million gold pieces in RuneScape. And then I was able to just 30 exit in like a, a month. <laughs> <laughs> Tibet RuneScape is not a cryptocurrency. It's really... <laughs> Whoever's running RuneScape, you're like missing a huge opportunity right now to just like go full crypto. Yeah, you know, there there was some talk about some NFT or something on Twitter that uh, some somebody was trying to encourage Jagex, the company, to um, get involved in crypto. And of course, I tried to like signal boost it, but um, <laughs> eventually everyone falls in line. So, how did you end up with the idea for Mango Markets? So. I have to give credit to DYDX. You know, it was like 2019, and I hadn't really considered that this was possible. I was, you know, heads down writing trading algorithms and trading crypto, just kind of holding all of my wealth in Bitcoin. And I was borderline Bitcoin maxi on, on that. And just seeing DYDX do it in those early days. Now, you know, of course, they're way more successful now those early days, seeing that you could do leverage trading on chain. Um, and they kind of showed it as a proof of concept, which went, I just kind of like started pacing back and forth, like, oh my God, this is changing my worldview completely. Ethereum was slow and, and, and whatever. So, you, you know, years went by or actually like maybe just like a year. And then I saw Serum Dex where I, I, I felt finally, okay, all the pieces are in play and also, I wanted to market make on Serum Dex, but I really need leverage. Like, I, I don't really need leverage. It just makes market making like dramatically more efficient um, and, and safer. Uh, so like leverage is just this tool that people who are involved in the financial plumbing really, really need. And I, you know, it wasn't there. I was like, okay, this is, this is the time. I'm going to have to learn how to code smart contracts, which sounds like a very scary and daunting task um but it was not that bad <laughs> i mean the, the scary part was that you guys were building on platform that was like really rough around the edges at the time <laughs> yeah well 
I mean, I mean, no one told me that it was really rough around the edges at the time. So maybe that's uh, that. That was actually maybe important. Um, you know, you you come in and there was nothing to do. This was like August of 2020. Um, things were not locked down necessarily here in the United States, but people kind of scattered. Like no one was hanging out in the major cities. They had kind of like went to go live with their families. Um, as did I, you know, I like, uh, fled, uh, San Francisco and, and went to like a rural part of North Carolina. So there's nothing going on and there's, you just have all the time in the world and Bitcoin is doing well. So that's funding you like in a way, like Bitcoin is just big or crypto in general. It's all the people who bought it or own some crypto, as long as it's going up, it's kind of funding whatever zany side projects you have in mind. So this was just a side project or like, okay, wouldn't it be cool if I, if I like could access this part of the world or this technology? Um, and so that's why chewing glass, I mean, you, you, you've probably coined that term. I don't know. Uh, that's why chewing glass wasn't so hard. Um, you know, cause there, that, that pressure to, you have all the time in the world, basically. Um, <laughs> Basically, COVID and lockdowns were so boring that chewing glass to learn how to code smart contracts at Solana was like a reprieve. Yeah, from the from the boredom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and uh, you know, and I, I've I've heard I've heard like you kind of say, like, okay, a bear market is when everyone's coding. You know, to to give the opposite perspective, I feel like a bull market. I'm like much more chill. Oh yeah, like nothing really matters. Crypto's going up. It it, it doesn't matter what I do. Like I'm just going to have like rent is going to be paid for, everything's going to be fine. Might as well engage in high variance new ideas, new projects. In a bear market, I'm I'm very like got to grind. You know, I got to I got to squeeze out a couple more bips out of this trading algorithm because I got to pay rent. Yeah, so so that's the that's the the bullish case on bull markets that you can try something crazy. Yeah, you know what? That is that is like the the point where people enter the space is in a bull market. Yeah, is that they kind of like start coming in droves because they're like everything is crazy, and I can I can also be you know part of the party. Yeah, but it's hard as a founder to like stay focused, you know, because you are in that like high var- variance, like high risk taking. St- Kind of mindset. Yeah, maybe maybe the yeah. There's a there's a trade off of uh, during a bull market. You there's a lot of things looking for your attention, and and you know in a bear market it's very calm, or it can be. I mean, it's um if you if you built up a lot of liabilities during the bull market that now you you have to like stay afloat with during the bear market. Now it's maybe it's calm in the external world, but internally it's not calm. You're like, I got to do X, Y, and Z today, every day. Um, there's there's a, that natural pressure. So you decided that to learn coding on smart contracts on Solana. How did you end up going from there into Mango? Initially, you know, it was called Leverum. Uh, well, not it. There was just like an idea and there was like a command line tool where you could access. Uh, the, the YouTube video might still be out there. And, you know, Max... Uh, was out there somewhere on the internet and uh, he saw it and he he thought it was like a great idea until he reached out to me and you know we did some 
some other things like speculated about a prediction market. And then, then we were like, okay, no one's going to build margin trading. A lot of people are saying it, but it doesn't look like if we just wait, it's just going to happen like in the next couple of weeks or something. It's probably we just have to build it. No, we just have to, but we, we totally should. Uh, this is clearly like a very important piece of the Solana ecosystem. So we started, yeah, we started building it. Um, Mango was just, we were thinking like alliteration is good. And, and everybody loves mangoes. It's, it's, a, it's a fruit that's, I have never heard of anybody who doesn't like mangoes. It's probably the high sugar content. And mango margin was the idea, but then, uh, you know, we got the domain mango.markets. It's kind of evolved now. Like, you know, when you're starting off with something, you have kind of narrow scope. You're like, yeah, I, you know, just want to be able to borrow money. And now there's this mango DAO and people are talking about NFTs and drones and like, <laughs> okay, I'm talking about drones. I don't know if anybody else is, but <laughs> um, uh, it, it's just like gone way higher. Um, and now I'm like, yeah, I'm a, humble servant of the mango DAO, and that that seems totally the normal thing to say. How big is the DAO? How big is the DAO? That's a good question. In, um, in humans? That's like a humans? philosophical question. Yeah, okay, in, in human terms. Wow, again, even still a philosophical question. So I think if you go to MNGO token, if you go to like the Solana Explorer and just type in mango or MNGO or something, you could probably... I don't know if they have a list of unique token addresses. So in some sense, that's the DAO. But in terms of the number of people who actively post on the forums and uh, make proposals, that's much smaller. I'm, I'm guessing there's thousands of people who uh, have votes, but the number of people who make proposals and, and uh, like add meaningful commentary on the forums is maybe 20 people. And that's, I mean, it's expanding pretty quickly. I always see new people coming in. But yeah, and big, there's also uh, not just people, there's like the wealth of the DAO and like the cultural reach of the DAO, the, the spiritual significance of the DAO. <laughs> All of those like, seem, seem like aspects of uh, size, you know, if you, if you were to ask how big is the DAO, yeah. <laughs> You know, you, you interviewed Balaji Srinivasan, and there's this idea that he had on Twitter that was like, a DAO should buy land in Wyoming and, like, send a drone to circle it. And this is, this is kind of like a moon landing sort of kind of thing, or, or some kind of significant breakthrough where the, the DAO is controlling physical objects in the real world. So this, this is like very exciting to me, but it has nothing to do with margin trading. It's just like something exciting that uh, maybe in the bear market, I don't know. Um, I'll like push to get this done. Do you want the control to happen on chain? Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's necessary. Not, maybe not the total control, but like some kind of signal that this is. So, so you can kind of think of, um, you know, Congress authorizes a certain thing and then the executive branch does it. If we could make that link be as automated as possible, I think, I think, I think there's some useful, something useful there. At the very least, something exciting and interesting, kind of like the moon landing, where maybe there wasn't anything useful, but 
um, it was inspiring for sure. So the DAO, you guys decided you wanted to do something with leverage and lending, and how you guys launched was like really unique. I don't even know if people did this in Ethereum, right? To me, I think this was the first time anyone's kind of done this style of launch. Can you talk about the design and like how you guys thought of it and what let you made those choices? So um, people early to Solana may be familiar with the Mango market caps um, and how that went, which somewhat argue is the first NFT on Solana. And that was done pretty much sort of like how NFTs are typically done, um, where you just, there's a mad rush to like grab the, the caps as soon as possible. And the price is swinging wildly and there's a lot of people. Now, I, I think like we put that together as like an April Fool's kind of thing, like very quickly. And so it was great for what it did. But the experience from that was, okay, there's going to be a lot of angry people like if you do it in this way where you, where you, you know, the DAO is raising funds, and this is like the inception of the DAO. The DAO is, is raising funds for an insurance fund. You, you probably don't want it to just be distributed to the people who were the fastest to click. Um, and and that, that, was, that was the idea. Like we, we probably don't want that. Um, it doesn't seem useful. It seems like a lot of angry people and a lot of frustrated people. So, okay, so you take out the time component, you take out the luck component, and then you're left with, okay, you can just have this sort of auction that lasts 24 hours, but then what if like somebody comes in at the last moment and dumps in a huge amount of money and raises the price for everyone? You know, and everyone gets the same, same price. So, you know, our design was, we'll have a uh, withdrawal period or a grace period at the end, the, the remaining 24 hours where if you kind of don't like the price, you can bail out. It, it, had, it had some flaws. And I think we, we knew about those flaws from the beginning. We were like, okay, we've just pushed this game of chicken to a later point um, where someone can put in a lot of money and then, uh, to scare other people away. And then they pull out at the last second. And that did happen. But it's not clear if that was net positive or net negative. So, And kind of in summary, there's like this 24-hour period where people deposit funds in for a fixed supply of tokens. Correct. Right. And then the period's over and now everybody knows what the total amount in the pot is for the token. And there's kind of this price is created. And then if you don't like the price, you can withdraw the entire bid or as much as you want. Some, you can, you can only reduce your bid. Correct. But you, you don't need to withdraw the entire bid, right? You can just reduce it. Correct. Yep. So then that pushes the average price down at the same time. So as for every dollar you take out, you kind of get a better price per token. And you see and you see the price ticking up during the first 24 hours yeah. as more and more people are putting money in and then the the price ticking down over the next 24 hours. Yeah. I'm like a huge fan of the setup because it like creates a lot of there was a news. You guys made the news because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like almost all half of the all of USDC that was minted on Solana ended up in that smart contract. It was like forty five percent of it. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember actually because we saw the USDC on Solana was seven hundred million the days before. Yeah, and then it, it had climbed up to like one point one billion, or I don't know what the number was at. at at the end, 
And there was 500 million in the contract at the end of the first 24 hours. That was not the intention. I guess minted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, and, and honestly, like from, I think you can appreciate it better from the outside than from, from, from my point of view, for, for sure. And of course, I also can appreciate it better from the, from, uh, the time distance. But like that was not expected. Um, we kind of knew that there would be a lot of money placed in the beginning and then the money would go down. That was in all the documentation that we wrote. And that was, you know, um, that was expected. And we had all these dev calls where everyone was always talking about it. And I was like, okay, come on. There's not like literally there isn't that much USDC in Solana. <laughs> so there can't be, it can't be that bad. Um, but of course, like I underweighted the possibility that someone can just mint a whole bunch of new USDC is bring it in from somewhere. It definitely, it made the news. Um, and there were a couple of other projects that did the same thing. And I wonder if maybe it's a one-time kind of thing. Like the game only works once. You, you, you don't, you can't expect to scare people every time or, or uh, use the tactic every time. Yeah, maybe. I think a lot to be said that there was no other way to get Mango tokens at all. Yeah. So there was no private round. They were never listed anywhere. This was really the only way to get them. Yeah. And the anticipation of a project that was like awesome, right? And from every other perspective, I think is is like what I what I always tell founders is that like you should always raise the least amount for the highest price. Like you you're like the VCs kind of have more power than you usually because mm-hmm. they have more information. They look at many deals. People come to them. They have the money. But it's sometimes the founders have this asymmetry where they're the only ones with that equity. That's, they're the only ones with that token. And that moment is like, if you can get everybody at the same time to compete <laughs> for that yeah. thing, then uh, you've kind of created the asymmetry there and you maximize you know, the capital raise for the DAO, for the project, for the community, and therefore that actually is a good thing, right? You, you have more resources to yeah. build the vision. Yeah, although I'll, I'll clarify, I think that the, the DAO is still handing out a lot of tokens. So there's still a lot of ways to acquire um, Mango tokens. And um, that was kind of the inception for the insurance fund. The DAO has been paying people out of the insurance fund. And so it, it, it's been useful, but the, there's still more tokens to be had. There's this like private rounds and, and I, t- I totally understand why people do them. But uh, like I said earlier, if you are in crypto for a while, and this is a cool thing about bull markets, I don't actually need money. I just need to pay rent and you know, Bitcoin has gone up 50%. So I'm, I'm, I'm solid. And no one was paid anything. There was just mango tokens that were given to people and they were told the DAO values your contributions. <laughs> or, you know, this is <laughs> uh, this is the inception of the DAO, and everyone worked to 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 build this thing. People worked without even the Mango tokens, and sort of the tokens were given after the fact. So I I, I think it, I, yeah I think it's a viable way to just to to build crypto projects. Actually, I want like more teams to try that like totally from Genesis like DAO first approach. But it's really tough, right? Because you you guys had such a principled view on how things should be done, and there's a lot of people out there that are offering you, <laughs> offering money, yeah. right, for that one thing. How do you, how did you guys have the discipline to just go stick with this? We had a lot of discussions about 
of these things. We did, we talked to VCs and, and we still do. And we, we like all the VCs actually. So I, you know, I think of like Satoshi, uh, not trying to draw a comparison uh, to us, to Satoshi or anything, but just there's like this beauty in that story. And I think there's, there's a lot, maybe even the majority of Bitcoin's value <laughs> Um, at least to me, it, you know, like to me, I just love the narrative. I love the story of Satoshi, like the pseudonymous founder who is like one of the richest people on the planet right now. Obviously, there are you know, no, no VCs. This person wanted to not make a big fuss and not like he, he was a kind of like a like this like this uh, clockmaker prophetic person who just came and then left built this thing and then left. And that's, that's such an amazing story. There are these long, long payoffs. Like they take, maybe they take a while, but they definitely do pay off that if you're not hurting for rent, again, like I, I was in a position, um, all the other Mango devs were in this position as well, where it was a bull market. We're not getting eviction notices or something. We could kind of uh, float the boat for a while. Yeah, just consider the long-term payoffs. Consider the the five-year payoffs. Like stories are amazing. The weirdest thing is that like every good VC will tell you that you should maximize for the highest return. Mm -hmm. Like don't worry about like the middle exit or don't don't compromise. Right? Like actually like imagine you're taking over the world. Yeah. What are the steps to get there? And like the risks don't matter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like actually maximize for the high and and like this is. The irony here is that, like, I think this kind of fair launch, most distribution I, will probably result in, like, overall, overall long-term better, better and higher returns. But the, the risk that I always find is that, like, humans are, are hard to organize. And, and, like, at the same time, cryptography is this new tool for organization, right? It, it is, mm -hmm. like, what allows us to, like, massively scale agreement on complex problems, like really, really complicated problems. Like we can just click a button and vote and agree on it. <laughs> and yeah. you know, right? Like, you know that that decision was made. But I'm curious, do you see like tension between the decentralization, kind of the disorganization of the DAO and like getting shit done? I got to build stuff and yeah. <laughs> like... Yeah, no, 100% actually. Like, uh, like on a daily basis, actually. Um, and there was a there was a podcast with the guy on on Twitter who goes by Austerity Austerity Socks, um, and this was back in April. We we talked about this, and he he brought up a similar point. He was yeah, um, this DAO thing. It's it's all a fine dandy idea, but do you think this will, this will work? <laughs> um, and I, to be honest with you, like am skeptical. However, it. It has always felt to me sort of a high variance idea, kind of like if you were in um, the 16th century Netherlands or the 17th century Netherlands and you were like, okay, we got to get spices from India. Um, how do we do it? And you come up with a joint stock corporation and then the joint stock corporation is like everywhere. And I, I don't think anyone's really figured out how to do DAOs well or like what's the right mix what, how, how do we communicate? How do we coordinate? All, all those things. I don't think anyone's quite figured it out yet. No one had figured it out like six months ago, and I, I still don't think we have figured it out really. But if it works, like the payoff is enormous. There is global coordination. There isn't a jurisdiction. You know, imagine the, the DAO's controlling drones one day. Um, 
it, it could be it could be wild, right? So even taking into account all of my skepticism, I was still like, okay, yeah, we we should do the Dow idea. You know, not just me. Like all you know, Max Max uh, is totally on board with this, and Tyler, and like all all the other people who kind of build mango markets. But on a day to day basis, as of October 2021, now I'm thinking, okay, maybe what we need to do is have like small teams that build things and then pitch it in front of the DAO and get compensation. So like the DAO is kind of like the government and it sub- subcontracts out to people. Maybe not like direct democracy rules everything, you know, and we'll try that out. And if that doesn't work, we'll try something else out, but changing stuff up quickly. It's <laughs> awesome. It's actually like a really good strategy to like incentivize product development. Build me an MVP, which means you're the PM and the, yeah. and, the, and, the, and, the, and the and the and the implementer, right? The dev, and you go deal with all the work and like here, here's like your yeah. management. <laughs> it's yeah. all done. Just give me money. <laughs> okay, but you know, and there's some like maintenance tasks, right? So it's it's not purely like new products. So I'm thinking of Mango V4, but also in the meantime, there are all these nodes that need to be paid for and I think you guys will need to split and uh, we we called it KTOL keeping the lights on work yeah yeah so you, you you'd have to like you're for six months you're here on KTOL duty yeah <laughs> and you get paid a salary like effectively right and you just got to keep right. the lights on but then some other folks are like go 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 build something that you can propose to the DAO and the DAO will fund it yeah I think there that's basically what we have coalesced on is that well, some people should be doing K- KTLO and, and other people should be doing new things, um, building like the new product. And well, and it takes kind of the risk out. The DAO doesn't have to pay for whatever stuff that I produce for Mango V4. But we both have some kind of incentive to be honest about it. Like if it's clearly a huge improvement or even a very substantial improvement, the DAO should pay me something. Um, because if the DAO doesn't, then you can expect future builders to, to not to not go for it. And, and we have these discussions on the forums, right? And people make good arguments like this. Um, and I think I think like the average IQ in the Mango Markets forums is very high. I think probably higher than most legislative bodies. I'm just gonna go out go out on a limb and just say that. Um, uh, not 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 ours, of course. Ours is obviously very high IQ, smart people in, in our government. But um, but you know. <laughs> Do you believe like five years there's going to be like a thirty thousand person DAO? Like imagine like a tech company, thirty thousand engineers or thirty thousand hmm. people. Like they got product managers, teams, layers of bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Um, Is there going to be a DAO that's competing with uh, like a big tech company? It's legitimately really hard to to figure out what what how this might look. The reason why I hesitate so much with um, the question of like thirty thousand person DAO is um, I'm not sure we will have a good. I'm not sure it'll look exactly like a corporation that we can say, okay, these are these thirty thousand people. It, it might never. You might never be able to figure out who is part of the DAO, and maybe that's like the, one of the benefits of the DAO. Like if I asked you how many people uh, are are part of Solana, 
not like Solana Labs, but, you know, Solana, the community. It's a little bit difficult to even answer. Like lots of people with various levels of involvement and financial. Some people have a lot of financial stake and some people don't. But some people have a lot of financial stake and no involvement at all. It's like it's wild all over the place. Like does Solana actually or Bitcoin, does Bitcoin look like a country or a corporation? It's like I, I can't even put my finger on what it is. So even Lion had like a battle that had like 8,000 people all coordinating over something, right? Mm-hmm. And I think they have corporations within that game that are like maybe probably span up to 1,000, I'd imagine. Mm. So that, that's like people organizing using tech for a common goal, not without, a, without like a, a job, right? Like without like a, a structure that you normally have at a, at a company. I mean, Linux, right? It was built by people organizing online. I think, I think as soon as yeah. you have something to lose, and in, in Linux and even Lion, you kind of start building up um, a virtual token. Like your, your reputation as a contributor to this thing becomes yeah. like a thing that we don't normally think of as valuable in monetary way, but it's valuable to that person. Right? Right. I definitely like care about my, my ability to continue contributing to open source project. So where tokens like I think can get there is if there is something a value being created by the community some common goal that everyone's working on then that token is in the middle of it and kind of uniting and organizing it I think that could scale like as large as a corporation no no I no I I agree with you um I just think it's it'll always be a little bit hard to figure out like how many or who's involved just by the nature of it um, I, I just think it'll be always a little bit hard to figure out. But yeah, will 30,000 people be building on Mango uh, or, or some DAO? You probably know the numbers better, but we might even be approaching that with Solana, right? Um, so I'm like building, I'm not part of Solana Labs or affiliated with Solana anyway, but building on Solana and also have a financial incentive to but I also have a reputation incentive and, and yeah, it, it feels like I'm part of the, the, the Solana corp or what, whatever it is. Right. Like, but, but I don't know what it is. It's, it doesn't even exist. It's not even a DAO. There isn't even a DAO there. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I, oddly enough, I feel the same way about like ETH and Bitcoin even. Yeah. Is that like, I don't, I'm, we're like competing with them, right? Like, <laughs> but like, yeah. But it all feels like we're actually kind of part of the same team. And this is the weird part that I think is like gonna be really interesting how it plays out. Because I don't, I don't think it's obvious to anybody. Like, what is what is crypto? Is it the token? Is it the coin? Is it the network? Is it the cryptography itself? It's not the cryptography itself. So we can strike that one out. You, you yeah. sure? I, I think it's honestly the the power that a person has to be able to make these very like concrete statements that are unbreakable, yeah. no matter how is is like that's the math, right? The math behind it is like what allows yeah. them to do that. Yeah. So so it, it's um it's just I, I mean I I was thinking about like because um, I don't totally know the cryptography itself. Like I know like basic you know one on one number theory stuff, but. Um, but yeah, like the, I remember going through like my first programming class 
and coming out feeling just very powerful. I write stuff down and then it happens. Kind of like a, you know, like a king. Actually, more powerful than a king in a lot of ways because um, I was writing these trading algorithms and it was happening around the world in ways that probably uh, a medieval king couldn't imagine. And, and then this brings, and crypto brings that to finance um, where, where things of actual value can be moved and you just write, like, like you know, mango markets exist and you, you, know, you can go there and place a trade right now but it was, it was just somebody who wrote it. Um, you know, I was involved, like based on, the, you can see the GitHub contributions. But it was just like people who wrote it. And um, that's probably, yeah, we can maybe chalk that up to the cryptography. So what's next for you guys? <laughs> There's drones on the horizon. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so, sometime in the future. But um, we have to do a lot of the nitty gritty, you know, roll up your sleeves kind of work. Um, on Solana so far, there isn't, maybe like a lot of projects are struggling with this, like indexing all the data and providing it for people in a usable way. Cause there's just so many transactions and so many, you know, turns out if transaction fees are really low, people just make a lot of transactions and they don't think about it. And so gathering it up and displaying it in a useful format to people is, that's like very immediate term. And then slightly medium term is sort of becoming the place where everyone does leverage trading and does borrow and lending, all the crypto natives. And then, of course, in the long term, um, and I always say this, like somebody like my mom should be able to store her money in mango markets and not think twice about it. It's not a good idea right now, I, I wouldn't say, but that's the goal where like that involves a lot more social things than just technological things. That's like get it to a level where she can do it safely and feel comfortable and manage her keys. Or even if she's not managing her keys, have a solution for how the keys might be managed, that she's not falling for scams. And that's, I would say, my long-term goal. It's awesome, man. Yeah, on, on that note, man, really awesome to have you on the podcast. Great conversation. I'm always excited about what you guys are doing and and how the, the community is, is, is building this like ecosystem of its own. So really amazing. Like it's serendipity that <laughs> that uh, you guys turned building on, on Solana. Just really lucky to have folks like you in the ecosystem. Yeah, thanks a lot. That means a lot. Um, yeah, this, this was really fun. Yeah.